0: You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Welcome to all of you who are here today. I also want to send out a special welcome to those of you who are watching on the live stream. I was reminded this week by some kind encouragement that we have a growing and vibrant uh, virtual community uh, around the country and around the world. Um, so welcome, welcome to all of you who are uh, tuning in today wherever you are. We're, we are glad you are present uh, and we are together coming to, uh, into the presence of God and to hear his word. Um, So as James said, it's already Thanksgiving is right at our doorstep, right? And as we approach Thanksgiving in our country this week, I wanted us to take a look at the whole subject of giving thanks. Uh, I think a lot of it, like so many of things that happen in our holidays, get sentimentalized. And Giving thanks really isn't a sentimental exercise. It's serious business. And we're going to look at a serious passage, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. This is a theologically loaded text, uh, as Dr. Peter Jones will tell you. Uh, many of you have been taught by him uh, out of this passage, and there's some great stuff here. We're not going to be unpacking all of it, but really focusing. On what it says about giving thanks. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed for you in your bulletin. This is God's Word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we would pray that by Your Spirit You would speak to us through Your Word today. Forgive the preacher. His sins draw us closer to You and to one another. And we pray all of these things in Jesus name. Amen. well one of the reasons I said that giving thanks was serious business is because it's 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 personal it's not sentimental and it's not abstract right in in, in that way, giving thanks there's it's sort of like faith right um, we tell people in our culture, you know, just have faith. Live with faith. Just have faith. As if there was something about faith in and of itself that was uh, effective. That faith by itself is important. Faith by itself is nothing. Right? The issue is always the object of faith. What is your faith in? And so it is with gratitude. You know, we we hear it all the time in our culture, right? Have an attitude of gratitude, right? Live with gratitude. Be a thankful person. But again, that really makes no sense. Gratitude by itself is nothing. The, the, The issue is always, to whom are you thankful? And it is a whom. Gratitude implies personhood. You're not grateful in a vacuum, and you're not grateful to an impersonal force or an impersonal law. Gratitude exists between and among persons. G.K. Chesterton, who's always good for a quote, humorously put it this way, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. So gratitude, thankfulness, giving thanks to God. Let's unpack that under three headings. First, first heading, ingratitude, ingratitude is a serious sin. Second, even gratitude can be a sin. That's a warning. And then third and finally, The prescription trace the sunbeam back to the sun. So it's ingratitude is a serious sin, even gratitude can be a sin, and trace the sunbeam back to the sun. That's our roadmap this morning. So let's start with our first heading ingratitude is a serious sin. It's not only serious, it's, it's how every human being is hardwired. We may not like to hear that, but that is in fact true. Paul is discussing here in Romans 1 the human condition. The human condition in a fallen world. A human condition where every human being is born already with with each of us with a corrupted motherboard, right? Our, our, Our wiring is crossed because of sin. And so how does Paul describe the human condition here? Well, he says first of all in verse 18 that what we naturally tend to do is suppress the truth that we know about God. Truth suppression. And he goes on to say... Every person knows something about God, right? Namely, two things. We know that God exists and we know that God is powerful. And we know that from what's been created. That's verse 19. So then the next step in his argument is, okay, we know this stuff from creation, we suppress it, but we're not excused right there's no excusable ignorance of god verse 20 we are all without excuse and so when you suppress the truth about god and now verse 21 two things happen you don't honor god as god and you don't give thanks to him there it is there's the there's the, the the, the phrase that caused me to pick this passage. Not giving thanks to God is a fundamental root sin. It's one of the deepest sins. Right? Failing to honor God as God, failing to give thanks to God. Now, don't do what I w- was doing here and the, the way I've, I've thought about this uh, is is you know it's sort of odd that Paul would bring up in such a weighty discussion a, a sort of an issue of bad manners right is it, is this a bad manners problem right where where you have just you just forget to say thank you to God kids here know what i'm talking about right you you get a gift from someone and in your excitement you take it and run away and your mom or your dad stop you and say, wait, 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 wait. Did, didn't you forget something? Right? And you have to run back and say, oh, thank you. Thank you. That's good. good you know, good manners are a good thing. But that, this isn't talking about manners. This isn't just sort of the, you know, forgetting to say thank you to God. The author Tim, Tim Keller, I think, is on the right track when he describes our ingratitude toward God as spiritual plagiarism. You know what plagiarism is, right? It's not acknowledging dependence, right? You got words or an idea from someone else, but you don't acknowledge it. So in other words, p- plagiarism is really effectively a refusal to give thanks and to give credit. So it's a form of theft. It's, it's a kind of stealing, isn't it? So, and, and if you're not giving thanks to God, right? The all-powerful creator and sustainer of all that exists, then you are th- effectively taking credit for uh, all that you have, all that you've done, even though all of that has has come from and been enabled by God's hand. Spiritual plagiarism, right? Failing to give thanks to God, failing to acknowledge Him is, as, as, as Keller said, uh, living in the dangerous illusion that you're spiritually self-sufficient. That you have the power and the ability to keep your life on the right path and protect yourself from danger. And we don't. So, ingratitude is a serious sin, right? It be, it, it is, it's, it's saying that uh, it's taking credit where we don't shouldn't take the credit. It's 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 a subtle acknowledgement that we are not dependent uh, on God. Now, before I move on to the second point, I want to I want to speak to those of you here who are believers because I think that the t- the tendency would be for us to think that this that what I'm describing here is for. Unbelievers, people who are still actively suppressing the truth about God that they know. And I'm sure we have people like that here today. We're glad you're here. Being here is the first step in maybe a first step in, 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 in battling that truth suppression that we all do. But what I want to s- remind you guys is that this isn't just a, a, a problem for people who are not religious, who, or, who, who, who have nothing to do with God. right? Even though as a Christian you believe the truth about God, you've embraced the truth about God, you're growing in your knowledge of the truth about God, yet you still struggle with unbelief. At least I do. And in those times when, when, when you're struggling with unbelief and doubt, sometimes that struggle manifests itself. It rears its head as ingratitude toward God. Subtly taking credit for what God has given and what God has done. It's so easy to do it. It just slips into our language, right? I've worked so hard. I've earned this. I'm proud of what I've done. Um, There's an element of that which is true. But when you you completely remove gratitude toward God or dependence on God for for all that, um, we we are moving towards uh, spiritual plagiarism, right? And look where that leads in our text, verses 21 through 25, right? If you're not honoring God as God, if you're not giving thanks to God, what happens to you? You start circling the drain, right? It leads to empty thinking, irrationality, foolishness, darkness, despair, self-worship. Ingratitude toward God is a serious problem and a serious sin. So what do you do? What's the the answer? Do you uh, count your blessings? That's not a bad thing to do. And, uh, you know, at, at this time of year, it's something that a lot of us, that's an exercise a lot of us engage in. It's, and it's not wrong. Uh, but it's not sufficient either. Which brings us to our second point, which is the warning. Even gratitude, even gratitude toward God can be a sin. Now, what do I mean? How, how can gratitude toward God be, be, be a sin? Well, here I'm indebted uh, to the, the thinking of one of the great um, greatest American minds in American history, um, and that's uh, Christian theologian and philosopher Jonathan Edwards. And in probably his most famous book called A Treatise Concerning Religious Affections, uh, he one of the affections or emotions that he dealt with in that book was gratitude and and um, and as he' thought through gratitude from a Christian point of view, he recognized that there are sort of two kinds of gratitude two levels of gratitude that christians uh, that Christians have or exercise. The first is what he called natural gratitude. And natural gratitude is what we typically think about, I think, at Thanksgiving, right? It's, it's thankfulness to God for his good gifts. Thankfulness to God for his blessings. Now Again, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's biblically mandated. But I think what what... what I think the, the contribution, the helpful contribution of Edwards here is to say, no, gra- there's another level of gratitude that, that Christians uh, m- must exercise. It goes beyond natural gratitude. It's deeper. It's more fundamental. And Edwards called it gracious gratitude. But what he means is gratitude for God himself. Apart from the gifts. Don't Just take the gifts off the table. It's thankfulness, to God. Period. For who he is as a person, his his characteristics, his, his you know his character, his traits. Jonathan Edwards like a lot of guys in his era was is hard to read. So I've been helped in my study of Jonathan Edwards by uh, John Piper, who is a great student of Jonathan Edwards, and has written a lot that helps explain what Edwards was was saying, and uh, and and I really appreciated an article that Piper wrote where he kind of fleshed it out, right? That how how if if you stop with just natural gratitude, thankfulness for God's gifts, that you can run into sin. Um. Here's what what Piper says. He says, you know, if if you're not thankful, if you're thankful for God's gifts, but you're not thankful for who God is in himself, right? For his power, his goodness, his beauty, his infinity, his love, his mercy, his justice. Then, says Piper, and now I'm quoting, all your declarations of thanksgiving to God for his gifts are like the gratitude of a wife to a husband for the money she gets from him to use in her affair with another man. Now that's pretty strong language. That if all we did was thank God for His gifts and not for Him, then it would be like a wife thanking her husband for the money she gets from him to use in her affair with another man. Piper points to a passage in, in the New Testament letter of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. In, in that letter, James is writing to Christians and In critici- one point he's criticizing them for how they pray understand this, he's writing to Christians, they're praying, and here's what James says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's in James 4. So See, see what Piper is, is saying is this is where Edwards kind of got it, right? That Why does James call these praying Christians adulterous people? And the answer is because even though they're Christians, even though they're praying, they were forsaking their husband, God, and going after another lover, right? The world and all of its good stuff, pursuing their own passions and desires. And to top it off, they were asking through prayer, that their husband god would fund their adultery so if your gratitude is focused friends this thanksgiving say exclusively on the gifts that god gives rather than on god the giver himself there's a danger of committing spiritual adultery how the Old Testament def- over and over again described our sin as, uh, describes our sin as adultery that 's what the whole book of Hosea w- was illustrating right that as hosea that, that, that um, was married to Gomer, that Gomer would, would run off to, with affairs uh, to, to, with other men and, and, and Hosea you know, would be supporting her, and he would go back and go out and get her and bring her back time and time again. It was a picture of Israel's sin against God. Spiritual adultery. And, and, the, and of course, the tragedy of that is that spiritual adultery, just like physical adultery, never pays off, right? It, because it's sin, right? Sin always promises more than it delivers, God's gifts are great, God's blessings are great. And, and we are right to be thankful for them. But we, we, but, but, they, but we have to recognize they're not God, right? They don't ultimately satisfy. And sometimes the blessings we want don't come. Sometimes the blessings we want come and then they go away. And if that happens, if you end up devastated and hurt and angry and resentful or afraid, it, then something's wrong. I mean, they're, they're, that there's, that's a barometer on your heart. It shows that you've been banking on God's blessings, not on God. And aren't we seeing a lot of that today? And I, I think if, if 2020 has done one thing, it has, it has been, at least for me, a process of revealing my own spiritual adultery. We have the blessing of freedom in this country. When that, but when that freedom gets restricted because of a virus, we get impatient and frustrated. We have the blessing of being able to vote in a free election and to choose our leaders. But when our preferred leaders don't get chosen, we get resentful and fearful. It's a heart check, friends. So how do we move... From, and we don't, it's not really moving from. How do we have both natural gratitude, right? Thankfulness for God's gifts and gracious gratitude, thankfulness for God Himself. And the answer is our third and final point, which is trace the sunbeam back to the sun. Um, You won't be surprised to know that those are C.S. Lewis's words. I'm. I'm not nearly as uh, as poetic, uh, or as facile with the language as as Lewis, but that was his prescription. Trace the sunbeam back to the sun, and what he was describing in in his book Letters to Malcolm was. You know the the kinds of things he experienced. Lewis loved to walk, and he loved to walk in the woods. Um, in fact, if you ever go to his home in England, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, woods on, on the property of his home. And he would love to walk through those woods. And and he, and he said in, the, in letters to Malcolm that, you know, every patch of sunlight in the woods tells you something about the sun that you can't learn in a book. And, and he said, you know, it's the same way with God's blessings, the the gifts that God gives you. Every blessing, every gift, every pleasure becomes, says Lewis, a tutor that guides you further up and further in to God Himself. Let the blessings, let the gifts preach to you, not just the goodness of the gifts, but the incredible goodness of the giver. You know, we're commanded in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, to do everything, everything, and in in Greek, everything means everything. We're to do everything to the glory of God. That would include giving thanks. So we, we have to give thanks such that we aren't just giving glory to the gifts as good as they are, but that we, we give thanks in such a way that we are giving glory to God. Right? I'll give you an example of what that looks like, tracing the, uh, the sunbeam back to the sun. I'll give you the first one comes from fiction. I recently read um, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, and if you haven't read that, I would commend it to you. But there's there's a moment in that book where she, where Jane Eyre is is outside. It's night, and she's just so thankful for the gifts of the night. It's a it's a beautiful night. It's a clear night. It's a warm night. It's it's comfortable. It's safe. It's still. It's serene. And she's walking along, and she's thinking about all of these things and how good it is. And then it says, it, "She says, looking up, I, with tear-dimmed eyes, saw the mighty Milky Way. Remembering what it was, what countless systems there swept space like a soft trace of life, light. I felt the might and strength of God. Sure." was I, of His efficiency to save what He had made. I turned my prayer to thanksgiving, to the source of life who was also the savior of spirits. Mr. Rochester, her lover, Mr. Rochester was safe. He was God's and by God would He be guarded. See, that there is, I think, artfully told by Charlotte Bronte, that process of of, walking at night, thankfulness for the gifts, but then following those gifts back up into God, the source of life and the Savior of spirits. And all of a sudden, she's thankful to Him, to God, for who He is in in His power and His beauty. Well, that's fiction. Let me give you... Let's bring it up to our day and in real life, right? Another woman le- le- leading a very different life than, than, than Jane Eyre and Voskamp. Right? Married to a working farmer, mom to six children, a, a Christian who, because of some uh, fearful childhood experiences, struggled for her entire had been struggling for entire christian life with believing that god really loved her and cared for her struggling with doubts that god was really the good god that uh, that her church was saying he was but thinking sometimes that he was the enemy and a friend of hers came came to Anne and said you know I dare you to make a list of 1,000 blessings. And so she took the dare and, sh- and she started to, uh, on this process of, of discovering and writing down uh, 1,000 blessings as she lived her life day to day. And in the midst of that process, uh, as she was driving to church one early Sunday morning for nursery duty, it hit her. She had this, this epiphany. You know, that aha moment. She wasn't even done yet, but she, it all of a sudden hit her that all of these little blessings that she had been uh, f- focusing on and, and, and acknowledging were preaching to her about Jesus. And in her, and in her book entitled 1,000 Gifts, Anne Voskamp described her thinking process in the car that morning this way. She goes, here's what I was thinking. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? He gave us Jesus. Jesus gave him up for us all If we only have one memory, isn't that enough? The counting of all blessings is ultimately summed up in one. And the radical wonder of it stuns me happy. It hushes me still. It's all Christ. Every moment, every event, every happening, it's all in Christ and in Christ we are always safe. Can I get a Presbyterian amen? <laughs> you see what she's done? She's she's now the possessor of both natural gratitude, genuine thankfulness for God's gifts, but she allowed those gifts, she bent those pleasures back as C.S. Lewis says in another metaphor, sort of to bend your pleasures back toward God. And now she is not just thankful for the gifts, but she is ultimately thankful for God in who God is, for Jesus, and just who He is. As I, I'm going to wrap this up to say I would take this one step further. Um, you know, it's not just the blessings that we count. that that we can trace back to God. It's it's not just the sun beam that we can trace back to the sun. It's it's also the hard realities. It's it's the life-threatening crises, the storms of our lives, the depressions of our lives, the tragedies uh, of our lives, the disappointments of our lives. Luke 8, Luke chapter 8, well-known scene told by some of the other gospel writers. Um, The disciples and Jesus are crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Jesus is sleeping. They encounter a storm. Uh, The boat was swamping. Uh, They were in very real, genuine peril of of losing their lives. And and they begin to get very afraid, panicked, and they wake up Jesus, and Jesus stands up and rebukes the storm, right? And immediately there's a dead calm. And in in Luke's account of this event, in that quiet after this storm becomes dead calm at Jesus' command, Jesus turns to His disciples and asks them a question. Where is your faith? Now, again, I've always read that or interpreted that to mean J- Jesus was telling them they had no faith. And I don't think he's saying that. He knows they have faith. They do have faith. They are believers. Jesus just wanted to know where it was. Or what, what, uh, what have you placed your faith in right now? Right? And think about it. I mean, I, the disciples acted exactly like I do in a crisis, right? Which is I default to me. I default to my re, the resources that I can marshal, the resources that I can see. The disciples had faith. What was their faith in? It was in their boat. It was in themselves. It was in their considerable maritime skills. But they discovered that it wasn't enough, it wasn't sufficient. Just like I discover time and time again that my own resources, my own spirituality, my own gifts, my own smarts, my own whatever is not enough. You see what happened? Jesus used the storm, this frightening event to draw them further up and into Himself. Into a greater knowledge and a greater appreciation, a greater gratitude for who Jesus is. They named Him. Who is this? The one whom the wind and the water obey. So you and I can be thankful not just, not necessarily, for the storms in our lives, but how God uses those storms, how God uses 2020 to show us Himself and His saving power and His love for which we are deeply and profoundly thankful. Now, some of you cynics are thinking, well, you know, it's easy for you, you You used a story with a happy ending. You know, that's cheating. What, what if the Luke 8 account didn't have a happy ending? What if they died in that storm? Well, as Christians, you know what the answer to that is, right? Doesn't matter. Further on in Luke, Luke's Luke 21st chapter of Luke, Luke is t- telling his disciples about the last days, the days we're living in now. And Jesus says something remarkable in Luke 21. I, it, Jesus is always saying things remarkable. Always, often saying things that you, you, know, you, you first scratch your head because it sounds contradictory, right? He said to his disciples, in those days, some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. You know, is that so like Jesus? It's like just a, you know, it's, he he's turns that so quick, it's like you've got mental whiplash. Some of you, they're going to put to death, but don't worry, not a hair of your head will perish. How could Jesus say that? How, right? Well, we know, because Jesus knew when he was saying that what he was going to do for them, for you, for me. Jesus perished for our sins, for our ingratitude. Our sins are paid for. They're covered by, the, by the, perishing blo- you know, the, the perishing of Jesus, his blood. And then in vindication for what he did, Jesus was raised from the grave, charting for us what our future is, linked to him, united to him, by faith. So Christians, you know, right, as we trust in Jesus, we receive his, his, the, the forgiveness that earned by His death and we also receive the righteousness earned by His life so that we will, no matter what happens to us, even though we die, we live. We will, as Ann Voskamp says, be always safe, is that a good word for 2020 and beyond? That's the central gospel-centered reality that fuels the thanksgiving of every follower of Jesus. And may that fuel our thanksgiving this year. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven we are thankful not just for your gifts but for what you show us even in the hard times and Lord we are also thankful for you and though gifts can come and go Lord we're so thankful that you do not come and go That you never leave us or forsake us. That you have us in the palm of your hand and nothing can snatch us out of the palm of your hand. We thank you that you have a plan and that you are working that plan. And that plan is for our good. Lord, we don't understand all that's happening day to day. There's much in what's going on where we don't see your hand. But, Lord, we, we, live, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. And so we're trusting in you. Thank you. Thank you for your good gifts. Thank you for being you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.